Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 2, Episode 13. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And today we are joined by sports columnist and talk show host Jean-Jacques Taylor, the host of NFL Red Zone and former Syracuse Orangeman Scott Hansen, and Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl Executive Director Kim Adair. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest was a sports columnist for the Dallas Morning News and ESPN, a former beat writer for the Dallas Cowboys and radio talk show host, and currently is the president of JJT Media. Please welcome to the show, Jean-Jacques Taylor. Jean-Jacques, thanks for joining us. Hey, what's up, Doc? Good to see you. Well, you went, uh, you went to Ohio State, covered the Buckeyes a little bit. Football is a religion in Ohio, as it is in so many places. What's it like to experience it, experience and co- co- cover college football in Columbus, Ohio? Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a great question. And let me tell you exactly. Let me tell you exactly what it's all about. So having grown up in Oak Cliff in Dallas, I was a huge fan of SMU because my mom had a uh, boyfriend who coached on SMU staff. And um, what uh, what happened was so I went to Ohio State because my dad was teaching there. And I didn't really have any uh, any you know any juice about Ohio State. And then what happened is my dad asked me to drop him off at campus for a game one day, man. And I drove up there and dropped him off, and I saw those people in scarlet and gray growing across campus, and it was like a love at first sight kind of thing. And I was kind of hooked ever since then. And uh, you know that was really it. And so obviously I got invested emotionally after that. Uh, but it really started my emotional event. That kind of ratcheted it up. And it, uh, my freshman year in college was Jim Harbaugh's guaranteed Michigan win over Ohio State. And so once he guaranteed it and they won, yeah, I was all in after that. People think of Ohio State nowadays and, you know, of course they're going to go to a bowl game. They're going to probably win the national championship. That's what Ohio State fans think. But when you were in school, the, the program was a little bit in transition back in the late 80s, 80s early 90s. Uh, covering them along the way, even the the top level programs have have times inexplicably sometimes where they have little little kind of downward curves. It, it proves you still have to earn it. Um, tell us how important is it for coaches and programs to not take these winning seasons for granted? Oh, I think um, I mean it's not just Ohio State. When, when I was there, it was just a blip. I happened to cover the first losing season in twenty years when I was there. And it turned out to be good for me because it prepared me for how to how to cover adversity and how to cover coach firings and and all the stuff that comes with when a a blue blood program struggles. But duh, all you got to do is look at what Nebraska is going through, look at what the University of Miami has gone through, look at what USC has gone through a little bit, and you can see. Now nah, you need to enjoy the wins. Look at Texas. Uh, look at the Aggies this year. Um, you need to enjoy the winning seasons. You need to enjoy being up at top. And trust me, I enjoy it because Michigan ruined the 90s for me. Uh, you know, Ohio State had a lot of great teams where Michigan ruined their season at the end of the year. So I take great comfort in winning 16 out of 17 against them or 16 out of 18, whatever it is. Uh, my dude, my son is 18 years old. And last year was the first time he knew about a Michigan win over Ohio State. As a columnist for the Dallas Morning News, you got the chance to cover and have have some good conversations with some great coaches in the Big 12 and the SEC. Who stood out as some of the more interesting or impressive coaches that you've spoken to? 
You know, I think the uh, I think locally because I was exposed to it more is Gary Patterson, and that's because he's a guy who figured out who he is and what he is and how to make it happen and how to get it done. Meaning, he took a bunch of two stars, three stars, put them into a perfect four-two-five system for him, tweaked it up, tricked it up, and figured out how to win games against teams that clearly had more talent but didn't know, you know, exactly who they were, didn't have an identity. And to me, that's the best thing in college football. If you can figure out who you are and what you do, like TCU has done, um, then it's really great because it shows you that you can compete. You know, Iowa State's kind of doing the same thing a little bit with Matt Barnes there. But it's all about really understanding exactly who you are. You don't need a bunch of five stars if you're TCU to compete at the highest level. Now, you you need some five stars if you try to win a national championship. But to compete in the Big 12, you just need guys who understand their role, get a scheme that fits them. And, you know, part of their success, obviously, and what I was really impressed was he had a lot of guys who stayed four or five years, not guys who left early. And so you get a chance to develop them. You get that 215-pound defensive end out of high school, and by the time he graduates, he's 285 pounds, but he still maintained his quickness quickness uh, because you've been able to put him on a weight program for five years. So all of that, to me, um, was what was most impressive. And then I think obviously what's most disappointing uh, is University of Texas couldn't figure out their quarterback woes. You can't win in college football without a quarterback, man. They had Vince Young and they had, uh, you know, I got old man problem now. You know what I'm talking about. Colt McCoy. There you go. Colt McCoy. And they had nobody else since then. And so to me, their problem was the opposite of Gary Patterson. They, they, They signed all these five stars. And there's only one of two things that could happen, my friend. One of two things. Either the coaches couldn't develop them or they was looking at the wrong sheet for who the five stars were. Well, talking about coaches, speaking about coaches who who, who don't get five-star guys, I understand you have a, a good relationship with Deion Sanders that continues to this day. Unbelievable watching college game get, day go to Jackson, Mississippi and and, and what was be, able to be showcased uh, that day. What's your opinion of what he's building at Jackson State, and do you think he might eventually end up at a Power 5 school? I'm actually in Jackson right now at their football facility in one of their rooms that I stole, which is why somebody walked in here for a minute. Um, you know, what he's doing is, is um, at one level, it's not a surprise to me. I've known him for a long time. You know, he had these tremendous youth teams around Dallas. It was called Truth, and they used to just beat the brakes off of everybody. And he's really taking the same concept here. And you're like, well, but that was youth football and this is college football. That obviously is true. But the structure and how you put a program together and how you play with discipline and all that stuff, that doesn't change whether it's youth, whether it's high school, whether it's college, whether it's NFL. Um, He's phenomenal at details. He's phenomenal at leadership. He's phenomenal at organization. And that's why Jackson State, I think, has won 19 of the last 21 games. They're undefeated here this year. They're 9-0. They're like number one in the nation and pick the defensive category. They lead the nation in that. Um, their offense had 500 yards last week. He's building a powerhouse, and it's only going to get better as he continues to get more and more recruits up in there. Yeah, you know, as you as you know, you know the the champion of the SWAC and the champion of the MEAC play each other in the Celebration Bowl. It's the, the the only two FCS teams that are part of bowl season, which which we love. We embrace that. Uh, Jackson State got upset last year by South Carolina State, so I'm sure they're looking forward to going back there and uh, and winning a bowl game, uh, which would be pretty cool. 
No, Tell I don't me. think there's any doubt about that. It's all about domination for them. They're trying to beat everybody by three and four touchdowns. Yep. Well, they're certainly accomplishing that. That's for sure. Uh, what are your impressions of what the Big Ten is doing? Uh, adding USC, UCLA. Can you do you like that move? Can you see more more of that expansion on the horizon? Uh, at one level, it's cool. At one level, it seems pretty stupid because they're on the West Coast. And I realize football drives everything, but it, I mean, if you're talking about the cross country team traveling, I mean, it just seems odd to me. But you know, that's where college football is these days. Um, now, who are we gonna beat in the Rose Bowl if USC and UCLA are in the Big Ten? So that that again just seems weird to me. But hey, man, is 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 it really any stranger than uh, Texas? No, you go into the SEC. We're really going to end up with, as people have been talking about, three or four mega conferences, and they'll just kind of fight it out. Uh, I'm not really a traditionalist, but I do like that tradition. And it seems, uh, I don't know, man, it seems kind of off kilter that those two teams are coming to the Big Ten. But, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, change is often weird and change is often difficult, but change is coming whether we like it or not. You you said it for sure. Well, John Jock, we've taken up enough of your time. I know you're busy. Want to want to let you get back to Coach Prime there. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, really, really appreciate everything you do for the game of college football and and talking about it, promoting it, and uh, and just being a being being a fan, just like all of us. So thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. We're gonna take a short break and be right back. Stay with us. Vapor Apparel has all your game day essentials, from eco-friendly lightweight sun protection shirts and hoodies to cozy joggers and Sherpa fleece pullovers. Vapor has the layers you need to get outside and stay out longer. Plus, as Bowl Season's official apparel sponsor, they're creating limited edition shirts for bowl-bound teams made with 100% reprieve fiber from recycled water bottles. Want to celebrate your team's bowl bid with official bowl-bound gear? Get yours and explore more at bowlseason.com. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest serves as the host of NFL Red Zone, as well as the NFL Network's on-location coverage of the Super Bowl, Scouting Combine, and NFL Draft. He graduated from the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University and is someone I've known for roughly 30 years since our days together in Syracuse. Please welcome to the show, Scott Hansen. Scott, thanks for joining us. Nick Carparelli, as I live and breathe, how, how did it take us this long to reunite after all these years, it's it's been a tremendous failure on the part of both of us. But we're gonna <laughs> yeah, um, we're gonna take this opportunity to rectify that moving forward. Sounds good. You we we often throw around the word student athlete uh, a lot, but I think you probably embodied it uh, as much, if not more, than anyone. At Syracuse, you graduated cum laude from the prestigious Newhouse School while playing football as a walk-on for the Orangemen. Did you always have your sights on becoming a broadcaster or is that something you kind of that kind of evolved while you were at Syracuse? No, I definitely knew that I wanted to be a sports broadcaster from the time that I knew I was not going to be an NFL football player. I was like, well, let me get this straight. They pay those guys money to fly around the country and be in the press box and get to talk about the game and watch the game for free. So that was about about mid high school. I, I was a good high school football player. I was captain of my team. I was all conference in, in my little corner of the universe in suburban Detroit, Michigan. And, uh, but I was not a big time division one player. So I ended up saying, okay, college is about education. It's not just about athletics for me, even though I, I love the game and still love the game of football. 
So my dad and I did some research and we we decided, you know what, Syracuse has this awesome lineage of sports broadcasters. Why don't you try and, and go to Syracuse? So I, I, I applied to, to uh, the Newhouse School, as you mentioned, and I got rejected twice. They wrote me a letter back saying, you know, grades weren't good enough, transcripts weren't good enough or whatever. And I was like, and, and then the competitor in me kicked in. I was like, oh, okay, I'm not good enough to do this. Let's go. So what they did was on the second rejection, they let me go to the arts and sciences college and with an option to transfer into Newhouse if I hit certain levels of academic performance and certain milestones and whatnot. You had to take so many credits, get this grade point average. Uh, there was a there was a feared grammar, spelling and punctuation test that you had to pass to 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 reach the threshold of being a Newhouse student. And everybody on campus was like scared of this test. They thought it was the hardest thing in the world. Uh, and so I, I went, got in, went to the arts and sciences school, but I loved football so much. I said, I'm going to try and walk on the team. I'm not a division one, a talent. I was probably a division three, uh, talent ability wise, but I'm like, I love the game. And if they want someone who loves the game, I'm going to try and walk on the team. And so I, I did a letter writing campaign. You remember, you know, coach McPherson and, and his staff back in the, late 1980s. My senior year was 1989. Uh, and so the summer of 1989, I wrote, I think it was seven different letters to Coach Mack and the staff saying, here's who I am. I would love to walk on. I, I you know, I, I'm hustle. I'll be the best attitude guy on the team, all this type of stuff. Never got a response back. Seven letters. And I kept thinking, oh, I must have put the wrong zip code down because, you know, clearly they they want me, you know, on the team and whatnot. And, and of course, they were just being thrown into a pile. But after like the seventh one, I found out a couple of years later, one of the assistant coaches told me that Coach Matt came in with this little st mini stack of letters saying, well, there's this kid in Michigan who wants to walk on here. OK. And he delegated to someone. He said, you call him and tell him he can have a four day tryout. Back then, uh, you would the the. the Freshmen would come in before the the varsity players, or I say varsity. The, the freshmen would come in before the upperclassmen, and so there was a four day orientation period for the scholarship freshmen. They also morphed that into a four day walk on tryout. And after those four days, I was one of the last men standing, so I made it. And not only made it through the four days, I ended up staying for four years and had an amazing experience at Syracuse. I never knew that story. Well, you can't always control timing, but you and your teammates uh, during that time, you were combined 20 and four during your junior and senior years. Yep. And in your four years, you went to, you were four and oh in bowl games, went to yes. four, won all four of them. Places like the, the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, the Aloha Bowl in Hawaii, the, the Hall of Fame Bowl in Tampa, the Fiesta Bowl in Scottsdale. Like you can't, you almost couldn't draw up a bowl, uh, set of bowl experiences better than that. Talk about those trips, you know, what it was like to to go there with your teammates and the fun of the week leading up to the game and then the game itself. Do, and do, you, do you have a favorite one? Oh, uh, well, first of all, being four and O in bowl games is one of my proudest accomplishments in, in my life. Cause obviously it's a team achievement and football is the ultimate team sport. But nowadays, you know, as many bowls as there are, it's probably not, a, it's, it's not rare at all that it's that a, a freshman to a senior would go to four bowl games. But to be 4-0 at the end of those bowl games is, is still pretty rare. It was, it was definitely rare back in those days. Um, you and, beat some and, pretty good teams in those four games. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, we played, let me see, in order, we beat Georgia, which Georgia wasn't at the level that they are now, but they were still Georgia, you know, and, and, and CC strong uh, power. And that was in Atlanta. So we played them in their own backyard at the Peach Bowl. Uh, Arizona, um, who was who was the coach? Was it Dick Toomey, I think, was the, the head coach of Arizona? And they had some NFL talent on that team. Uh, and that was the second year at the Aloha Bowl, which was on Christmas Day. Back in back in the day on Christmas Day in Honolulu, Hawaii, which was an unbelievable experience, you know, for a college sophomore. Uh, then in my junior year, Ohio State. Hello. We beat Kirk Herbstreet and, and Ohio State in uh, my junior year bowl game. The, the what was then the Hall of Fame Bowl, January one in uh, Tampa, Florida. And then my senior year, the Fiesta Bowl, two top 10 teams head to head. Bill McCartney's Colorado Buffaloes, which for, for the newer college football fan audience, you, you might think Colorado's not an elite program. They were up there with Oklahoma and Nebraska back in the day. They won a national championship at one time. And we beat we beat them in the Fiesta Bowl as the, the crowning achievement. The last time I walked off a football field with a helmet on was the Fiesta Bowl, January 1, 1993. And, and I'll never forget it. I can tell you stories from here to, till tomorrow about each and every trip. Um, the, the I would say two things about what was my favorite. When they announced we were going to Hawaii, they, they told us like in a, in a team meeting room, you can imagine what the team meeting room was like a, a group of kids from, from Syracuse, New York. And, and we found out probably, you know, early to early to mid December, that we were going to be in in Hawaii on Christmas Day. There was probably a foot of snow on the ground at Syracuse at the time. When they announced that, the room erupted. And there probably wasn't a guy in the room that had ever been to Hawaii at that uh, point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so we were like, what? You know, and but and then the Fiesta Bowl, because the Fiesta Bowl was and still is one of the premier bowl games in all of college football. Uh, we were we had two losses at the time. So we were ranked. I want to say going into the game, we were still in the top 10. And then when we beat Colorado, we finished fifth in one poll, sixth in the other poll, but it was just elite. And it was the, the practices and the intensity and the, the buildup for gentlemen, you can finish as one of the top 10 teams in the country and maybe even top five teams in the country. That was a, a level of competition that, was was unparalleled for my own playing experience, and it was uh, it was amazing to be a part of. And, and of course, they roll out the red carpet on on all of the bowl games. And um, I don't know if you want to hear a story, but like Kyle Federley, it's a name that you and I both know. He was uh, uh, was and still is, I believe, you know, the equipment manager at at Syracuse. And one of his jobs around bowl season was to come into the team meeting room and say, "Okay, gentlemen, you're going to the Peach Bowl. Okay, gentlemen, you know, you're going to the Fiesta Bowl. You're at the Hall of Fame Bowl. Here is what the gift bag that you get upon arrival as a player will will be comprised of. Meaning, what does your sweatsuit look like? Do you get a watch? Do you get uh, you know, a video game system? Do you get a, a, you know, headphones? Do you get whatever? And there's a an allotment, I think it still works the same way, an allotment of gifts that the players get when they arrive on site. And that was always, a, that, yeah, the fans don't understand that, that college kids were like, what kind, what kind of free stuff can we get? What, what type of, you know, what, how, what's our swag? We get in shoes, we get in sweatsuits, we get in hats, we get in uh, watches, whatever else. And that was always one of the most fun times. And that was before you even get to the bowl game. 
Uh, so yeah, bowl game experience is like, it's unlike anything else for fans at home. You think, okay, it's, it's 60 minutes of football and you hope to get a competitive high scoring game, something fun to watch. But, but the whole process for a college football student athlete is, is amazing. And, and, and I don't talk about it a lot anymore, only when I do interviews and stuff, but even having this conversation right now brings back tremendous memories of my teammates, myself, and the experience that we had. Well, tell us another one. I mean, another thing people don't understand, I mean, they turn on the TV for three hours and watch the game, but they don't realize that you guys have been there three, four, five days. Yes. Doing all sorts of activities and having fun again with your, with your friends, with your teammates that you would never do otherwise, you know, any, any of those events kind of stand out in your mind? Yeah, we had, okay. Uh, at the Aloha Bowl in Hawaii, uh, two of the guys on our team, two of our starting linebackers, a guy by the name of Dan Conley and a guy by the name of Glenn Young, they were they were really close friends. They were two starting linebackers on our team, and they were both like these chiseled bodied guys, right? Just ripped up weight room guys. And they decided on the free time that they allot, you know, like you said, you're there for about a week. And they decided they were going surfing. And I remember the coaching staff was like, okay, wait a minute. We're not going to have one of our players drown before the game here. So they were kind of hesitant for it. But ultimately what they wanted was just to get out in the surf, mess around. They didn't know how to surf at all. And they probably, you know, smashed against the wave and whatnot the first time out. But they took this photo. I remember they took this photo and they flexed their shoulders, their pecs, their, their abs, like for this photo. And it, it became, it became, I think it was the, the cover photo of the game program for week one, the next year, like, Hey, you come to Syracuse and you get to go to Hawaii and you could just be, you could be a surfer boy and stuff like that. They were like this, almost like this pseudo marketing thing. And of course, Glenn and, and, and Dan at the time wanted all the girls on the beach to see them, you know, out there in their, in their Syracuse shorts, trying to surf in the, in the ocean off the, off the coast of Oahu. So uh, that was fun and funny. We were all sitting there going, okay, guys, um, getting to go to amusement parks. We went to, I remember we're going to Bush gardens and then you learn some of the biggest, toughest, fastest, strongest guys on your team are scared of heights and roller coasters. And they're like, no, no, I'm not going on that roller coaster at Bush gardens in Tampa before the hall of fame bowl. Oh no, no. And you're like, Dude, you, you run me over in practice all the time. You are invincible. You are, you know, and you're scared of this. Like we would laugh. We'd have a good time. Uh, team meals are always fun at a bowl game. Imagine, imagine back then it was 95 was the scholarship limit. So we had, we had about a hundred guys on the team. It was 95 scholarship guys. And then me and two to three other walk-ons. So about a hundred guys. Imagine taking a hundred guys plus coaches plus support staff to eat anywhere in Tampa or Hawaii or Arizona, you know, uh, like imagine that. So we had to, we would take over a restaurant. Of course they had it all prearranged, but occasionally they would have for what they would call a goodwill, uh, like an ambassador type, goodwill ambassador type, uh, team building exercise, they would have you, Syracuse team, and our bowl opponent in some massive, massive facility that they rented out. So you're talking about 
250 to 300 people. And of course, we're playing y'all in a few days. And all it took was like one guy looking over at the other table over there, you know, like sizing up the other team and whatnot. And remember the coaches were like, let's sit some coaches and the tables in between just to make sure that these fellas know the game isn't till January one. It's not now. Uh, so that, that was, that was fun as well. I got to in Hawaii, I got to play. I, I was chosen as the representative from the team to have the high lie experience. And I'm sure some of you guys know what high lie is, but for those who don't high lie is, I believe it was, it's a South American or Central American sport of, of origin that some places in Florida have, it might even be Cuban. I'm not sure, but, um, have incorporated into like into a game that you can go and play and, and wager on in Tampa and some other areas. And it's got the, the ball is like a little smaller than a baseball and it's rock hard. It's basically a rock. It, you know, a do you know what that ball is called? Do you know what the name a, of that ball is? A pelota. I pelota. Think. Very nice. And, very nice. And then they strap onto your wrist, onto your hand and your wrist, this huge curved, uh, looks like almost like a sort of like a lacrosse uh, net, although it's solid. And and that is called the Sesta, I believe, if I remember. Is it good, you, right? You are, you are on top of your highlight. Yep. I, I haven't talked about this since like 1990 something, but they, they strap that on and then you have to put the ball in there and you sling it up against a wall, a hard wall, almost like racquetball, kind of picture that. And the ball can travel when the pros do it. The ball can travel like 150 miles an hour or something like that. So they had two guys from Ohio State and two guys from Syracuse, one of which was me, in this highlight court. And we were trying to sling the ball up against the wall. And then the pros were sitting there on the sidelines. They taught us how to do it with five minutes. We tried to do it. And then they got to vote on who was better. And I remember that uh, that myself and, and my Syracuse teammate beat the Ohio State guys. We were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we own you guys come January 1st. We got you because we beat you in high line, even though none of us knew what we were doing. But, yeah, you get to, you get to have experiences that – I mean, I, I've traveled the world. I've done some amazing things. My bowl game experiences with my team gave me experiences and memories that – I've, I've never had since, and this is 30 years ago. I'm so thankful for the way that, that Syracuse traveled in, in bowl games and the way that we went about enjoying some fun as well as the practice week leading up to the all-important game. It was a great time in my life. Those are great stories. Well, well now, now you're the host of NFL Red Zone, which just looks like craziness. Tell us what your workday is like on Sundays. Well, on Sunday, yeah, Sunday is game day, obviously. Um, it's a little bit like a football team or being a football player in that I build up my entire week, builds up to peaking on Sunday. During that seven hours, I've got to be at my best, but it's all preparation and practice and and focused and thinking about how we can give our audience the absolute best show on Sunday. Um, so much like a player practicing to lead to peak during that 60 minutes of, of their game on Sunday or Saturday in college football. Um, but Sunday morning, I'm, I'm talking to you from Los Angeles. So we, we're on Pacific time, obviously. I wake up at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning. I like to be the first one into the studio. I get to the studio a little after six. 
And I, I get all my notes that I've compiled, all the different facts, figures, stats, things that I want to talk about during the show or I anticipate I will talk about during the show out on the, the broadcast desk. Then I go and I get fueled up. The, the chefs at the network make me the same dense protein, salty breakfast every single week. For This is year 14 of the show. Easily for like 12 straight years, I've eaten the same exact breakfast on Sunday morning. And I say dense proteins and salty because I need my stomach really filled because for the seven hour show, I don't eat another bite of food. And it's really, it's about a 11 hour gap where I don't eat because I, I eat about three hours before the show. And you're wondering, well, who cares about your diet or whatnot? Well, I famously or infamously do not take bathroom breaks during the entire seven hour show. So Input equals output. I cut off all liquids and food three hours before the show, but I still got to have the energy in me. So I have this huge breakfast and salty because I can retain water that way. And I use the facilities right before I go on air. So about the games begin at 10 a.m. Pacific, about 9.55. When, when, when you all are watching the countdown clock on NFL Red Zone, the famous five-minute countdown clock, Uncle Scott's in the restroom uh, having nature call. And then... It, then I buckle in and I do not leave my position for seven straight hours. It's focus on the football and it's a, it's a thrill ride. I mean, it's ad lib for seven straight hours. Uh, Nick, you, you, you get the impression once again, uh, I'm sure you knew back in college and you undoubtedly by this interview know now that you just need to wind me up. I can talk and I can go for seven straight hours. No problem. And uh, it's just having fun with, with the United States and the world that's watching NFL football and use NFL red zone as their source for the most competitive sport on the planet. For my money, it's, it's fun to be in the captain's chair of that show. Well, it, it certainly comes through that you're having fun for sure. And you are never at a loss for words. Uh, we, we do that coming in and we, we know that <laughs> even more now, which is uh, one of your many great qualities, Scott, last question for you. You get a chance to watch much college football these days uh, with your busy well, schedule. Uh, whole season's coming up. Syracuse is going to be there, which is rare these days. People, uh, today's generation doesn't know Syracuse to be as good as it was when 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 you and I were there. But uh, you, you're going to watch them this year? 100%. I've been following the Orange. I, I loved their undefeated start. They gave Clemson. They stood toe-to-toe with Clemson at Clemson. Couldn't pull off the victory. I've uh, still got some business to take care of before we find out where they'll land on the bowl calendar. But I'll 100% be watching. And Nick, the answer to your question, do I watch college football? Oh, do I watch college football? In fact, if I can if I can pivot my camera here, I'm in my place here in Los Angeles. Uh, I sit right here at this table. I'm on the other side of the table right here doing all of my NFL research on college football Saturday. And my 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 face faces this direction right here, which faces my media wall here. This is my media wall of five televisions. And one's blank right there right now, but I have five TVs and I put on the five best college football games at noon Eastern time at three 30 Eastern time. And then into the night games as well. I've got the best five college football games on constantly throughout the day. I'm a college football junkie. NFL uh, butters my bread, but, but I love college football and love watching what these young men put on, on, television every single week and 
I will, I, I even look at the bull calendar, bull projections, you know, like ESPN or CBS Sports or some of the other outlets will do bowl proje- projections. I start looking at those here in November, even though there's still plenty of football to be played to see who's going to end up where, what, what the bowl matchups, what, what awesome stylistic matchups would we see? What classic powerhouse programs will be matching up in bowl games? Oh, I'm a junkie and, and I love it. So I, I love all the work that you and your team do to, to get us amazing football from, you know, mid to late December, all the way through the national title game. That, that, thanks, Scott. That's uh, your setup is surely going to be the envy of anyone who's watching this. Uh, uh, pretty sweet, pretty sweet. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. Really appreciate you joining us. You're you're one of those guys, Scott. Even though we don't see each other often enough, when when you come up, I you know I kind of point to that. I say yeah, that's that's a that's a you know I know Scott. He's a friend of mine. We go way back, and there's uh, never a doubt that uh, when we do connect, we're gonna pick right up where we left off. So let's uh, let's make sure we don't wait so long to get together again next time. One hundred percent, Nick. Uh, by the way, I just real quick, my dad was your biggest fan. I don't know if you remember that or not, but when my dad would travel to bowl games and whatnot, when he would get to meet you, he's like Nick Carparelli. That guy is going to be a galactic success in his life. And uh, my dad was prophetic back back in the day. There, well, great to well, see you, Nick. Yeah, I. Uh... I, I remember very clearly seeing your dad and he used to seek me out and you would bring him to talk. And I, you know, I don't know, I got, I, maybe even to this day, I don't, I'm not sure why he uh, saw that in me. He was uh, always a pleasure to talk to. And that was, uh, I, I remember that very clearly. Keep up the great work, bud. Let's get into the same city at the same time and, and uh, break bread together. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. We're going to take a short break and be right back with the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl Executive Director, Kim Adair. Stay with us. The forecast for this tax season, it's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with TaxAct, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Welcome back to the show. Our final guest is brought to you by Tappet. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans, and boosts your bottom line. We now welcome to the show the executive director of the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl, Kim Adair. Kim, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Nick. Happy to be here. I want to start out by asking about your Barstool Sports partnership. Barstool is obviously a popular brand. Might have raised a few eyebrows when you announced them as your title sponsor two years ago. But tell us, how did that vision come to fruition? And from your view, what does Barstool bring to the Arizona Bowl that gives you a unique advantage? Yeah, you know, we were so excited to start having conversations with Barstool. Barstool happens to be the third largest sports brand and sports media company in the country. They have a huge following. It's something that can't be denied. And they're innovative and exciting. And we, we, we're attracted to that. We feel like we're in an innovative tech bowl. We were the first bowl to be on a streaming platform back in 2015 when we started. And then we went to back to traditional linear broadcasting. And we're excited to be back on a digital streaming platform, which is the way um, broadcasting is going in the future. As you know, Nick, the college football fan tends to be in an aging demographic, and we've got to attract those young kids. And Barstool has the attention of young kids, young fans, so that we can continue to grow the excitement, enthusiasm about college football. And, um, you know, Barstool brings a ton of energy. I can tell you last year before our game got canceled, they had 32 um, cameras ready to take in all of the action as compared to, you know, 10 from our linear broadcast partners. So 
there's going to be some really exciting things. And also Barstool brings basically a whole nother team of people to us. We've got the two teams from our conferences, but we also have the Barstool team, people that are just excited to come and be a part of the festivities and meet the meet the podcasters and content creators. And um, we're really excited about what this brings to us. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see it too. You know, it's uh, the way people consume video and especially live uh, sports is is evolving so quickly. And for, for you guys to be the first one to kind of take that chance and, and go this route is uh, a lot of eyeballs are going to be on you just to see how mm-hmm. it works out. So, yeah. so good luck with that. Now, you've been the executive director and CEO since 2018. Before that, you were actually the senior vice president of marketing and business development with the title sponsor of the bowl game and actually negotiated the contract that you would eventually have to live under as the executive director, which is uh, which is very interesting and and unusual as well. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're the only person that went from being the title sponsor of a bowl game to be being its executive director. (laughs) How did that happen? And did you ever see yourself running a college bowl game uh, when your business career began? Yeah, you know, so that that transition was really funny. Um, you know, Tucson's a great town. It's a big town, but with a small feel. And I say that I was uh, with the bowl on day two. So our founder, Ali Farhang, is a good friend of mine. Um, he contacted us about being the title sponsor. I negotiated a killer contract for Nova Home Loans, which I, like you said, I had to live under. I um, sometimes regret doing so, so well for them because... You know, coming back and living under a different contract is always a different experience, but it was a really fun, exciting time to be a part of a brand new bowl game as it started to, you know, um, grow and evolve into something that's so important to our community. And, you know, I've I've loved it. I never thought I would be in sports, um, but I, in my career, have negotiated a lot of sports marketing contracts. So I understand the um, landscape. I understand what goes into ensuring that sponsors are happy and that everybody is um, uh, successful in the adventure of a bowl game or in a sports contract. And so I was, um, I was really excited about the challenge and, you know, I was the only girl on my 1980 little league team, Nick. So I've been, I've been used to playing with boys and, and making my own way for a very long time. And so I was excited about the opportunity to join, um, join into the bowl bowl season landscape. Yeah. Well, I've I've seen you in action, Kim. You are certainly not afraid to mix it up with the boys, that's for sure. <laughs> what have been some of your personal favorite highlights in your involvement with the Arizona Bowl? Oh my gosh, there's so many, but I would have to say if you asked, you know, a lot of people involved with our bowl, they would probably give you the same answer that I'm going to give you, which is our 2017 game. In 2017, we hosted New Mexico State Aggies versus the Utah State Aggies, Aggies versus Aggies. But the real story was like something for the movies. New Mexico State hadn't been to a bowl game in 57 years. And we finally were able to invite them that year to our bowl game. And 57 years ago, guess who they played? The Utah State Aggies. And so it was 57 years in the making. Um, the last person in Las Cruces turned out the lights there and drove all the town drove here four hours to Tucson. So it couldn't have been a better environment. They drank us out of all of our beer. They filled up the stadium. It went into overtime and New Mexico State won it and rushed the field. And it was a huge, um, a hugely popular, exciting moment for all of us. And you know what? When people say, gosh, our are, are bowls necessary? Do we need so many bowls? I'll tell you, Las Cruces still talks about our bowl. It was still the last time they've been um, bowl eligible and went to a bowl. 
and they still talk about it. It was their Super Bowl. So these bowl games matter not only to the communities that host them, but to the fans that come to them. And I'll tell you, there's better, no better game than I think we've hosted in our years. So it's definitely 2017. Yeah. What a great story. So many people just focus on the playoff games and, you know, we all know college football is, is unique. You know, it's, uh, it's not built for the majority of teams to realistically aspire to be in the playoff every year, you know, and those yeah. the experiences that your, your bowl provides and many of the others are, you know, memories that last a lifetime for the guy, these guys. Yeah. Uh, what a great story. Well, you're, you're, you're one of only five female executive directors of bowl games. Uh, and that's the most we've ever had. It's, it's, it's been yeah. less than that for a long time. What do you tell young female executives who are looking to take their career into sports and other business aspirations? I say go for it. I mean, I think we're at a real tipping point. I think you're noticing um, a lot of women now that, you know, there are so, some folks retiring or moving out of these positions that uh, women are getting a fair shot at these jobs. Um, there are so many, I've been so impressed by so many incredible women at the top of their game in sports and athletics. And it's a very exciting time, I think, for everyone. And I'd say go for it. Um, you know, it was interesting. I was one of two when I joined and now we're now I'm one of five. And as opportunities are opening up, women are filling them. And there's no reason why um, that glass ceiling shouldn't be shattered by now. And I think it it probably is. And um, it's an, a very exciting time to be a woman working in sports. Um, it, You know, I hope next year I won't even get this question anymore because it'll be something that isn't novel anymore. It's just something that's routine. Well, I'm going to ask you two questions here and they're related. And so, so I can just kind of allow you to elaborate on them. The 2021 game was canceled due to COVID. Uh, how has the bowl game and your team worked to bounce back strong this bowl season? And then what's next for the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl? What, what are your goals in growing this game over the next few years? Yeah, I can tell you it was a, it was a you know, really a deflating moment when we had to cancel our game in 2021. We sort of liken it to like a national championship team, right? We've been winning. We've been doing all of these great things all the way along the way. And then at the very last moment, we didn't get the result we wanted, but we are still stronger for it. We're still more excited for it. We've got a great foundation for the future. And that's where we are now. You know, um, we couldn't have uh, gotten through that very difficult time without the um, support of so many of our sponsors, including Barstool Sports, who have been incredible. And I can tell you, we are back and better than ever. We just last week had our kickoff luncheon. We sold out with a thousand people coming to our kickoff luncheon. And we had Rob Gronkowski as our keynote speaker, which was, I can't tell you how fun that was to interview Rob on that stage in front of all of these fans. And um, it was a fantastic event. And we're just getting bigger and better. We announced last week at that kickoff luncheon that Barstool is investing a million dollars in our local community, small businesses that are still struggling through some of the effects of the pandemic. So that's amazing for our community. So we're rallying, we're exciting, we're working hard to sell out um, Arizona Stadium because we are a game with a goal. And our goal is to give back as much money to charity as we possibly can. And if we sell out the University of Arizona Stadium, we'll be able to write checks for a million dollars for our local charities. And that's really what we're focusing on. And, um, I, I, you know, I'm excited about the Barstool effect. I'm excited to see what this broadcast is like. Um, there's a lot of enthusiasm and energy in our community is rallying around the game, which is very exciting. So, you know, it was tough last year, but, oh, it's going to be an amazing year this year. I can feel it. No doubt about it. Bowl season starts in 
Oh, roughly five weeks, and, and your game is uh, smack in the middle of bowl season. So I, I can't I can't wait to see your game, Kim. I can't wait to see all of them, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, me too. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate uh, you know, certainly everything you do for your your own game, but uh, what a, what a great uh, partner you are in, in everything we do at bowl season and uh, for all you do for the game of college football. Uh, really appreciate it, Kim. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nick. Take care. And thanks to all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.